Hi, I'm Erica Keswin. Welcome to Left to Our Own Devices, a show that explores how to bring our human to work and to life. Because left to our own devices, we're not connecting. Today, my guest is Alicia Menendez. Alicia is a journalist and a multimedia storyteller. She's an anchor at MSNBC and author of one of my favorite books, The Likeability Trap, How to Break Free and Succeed as You Are. She is also a contributing editor at Bustle, as well as the host of its Latina to Latina podcast. Formerly, she was a host at Fusion TV and one of the eight inaugural hosts and producers for HuffPost Live. Alicia was named Broadcast Journalism's New Gladiator by Elle Magazine, Ms. Millennial by The Washington Post, and a content queen by Marie Claire. She has also contributed reporting to ABC's Nightline and World News Tonight and has shared her take on current events on Good Morning America, This Week, and The View. Alicia currently resides in her home state of New Jersey with her husband and two daughters. I'm so excited to welcome Alicia to the show. So welcome to the show, Alicia. It's so great to see you. It's good to see you, Erica. So the last time we saw each other face-to-face, and actually the first time we met, we were both speaking on a panel at the Massachusetts Conference for Women, which is a massive annual event with over 15,000 attendees. I was thinking about this this morning. You know, for so many reasons, that event seems light years away, and, and it's almost like I can't remember being... What it's like to be around 15,000 people? Right. No. I mean, it was... Just the thought of it is making my hands sweat. Right. I mean, I can see the look on your face right now. I mean, it's, it is so interesting. That is the last time I was with you. But it also, I, I've been thinking about you a lot because I was still pretty recently postpartum and I was schlepping around breast milk and you were so great about telling me about your kids and how like your teen girl still cuddles on the couch with you, which just now every day when I'm with my three-year-old, I'm like, please, please, please still want to cuddle on the couch with me in 15 years. Yeah. We'll see if they still want to cuddle with me after quarantine. Um, <laughs> but so far, so far it's, it's so good. So when we get to that, I can share any, any tips that I have, but you know, this pandemic is, is happening to all of us, but it's happening to all of us in, in so many different ways. You know, you're on the air um, delivering the news. Are you actually going into an office or are you reporting from your home in New Jersey? I am in my home in New Jersey and it is um, in some ways just so wonderful. Like I think, first of all, all of us who, who have jobs and who have employment in this moment are just so grateful to have a job and employment in this moment because it is so real to me how many people don't have that right now and what a scary time this is for people. Um, so I'm happy to have my job and I'm really grateful to be able to do it from home, both because I don't have childcare right now. So I'm not certain how my husband and I would be able to do this if I did have to commute into an office. Um, and because it really allows me to integrate my work and my life in ways that I just could never have imagined. I mean, I'm on the air Saturday and I'm on the air Sunday and I wake up and I breakfast with my kids and I read into the show and I'm on calls with my team while I'm like bathing my kids and it, it works. Like the show gets up. It's good. It's fine. Um, and, and so, yeah, it's, it's a brave new world. I think it's a, a brave new world and there'll be some great things for people in general, but also for women you know, many of the executives that I have been speaking to over the years when I when I was writing Bring Your Human to Work, you know, one of the things that 
millennials and Gen Z want, but it's really all humans. But there were so many millennials and Gen Z, you know, they're going to make up 20, 75% of the workforce by 2025. You know, they wanted that workplace flexibility and leader after leader would, you know, would not be on board necessarily. And so I think all of a sudden everything has been flipped. We are all working from home. And even when we're tiptoeing back into the office in some way, shape or form, this there will be some, I believe, some some benefits for, for women that, that come out of it. So on, on the topic of women, you wrote an amazing book last year, you know, called The Likeability Trap, How to Break Free and Succeed as You Are. And, you know, it's making me think about, you know, women and if they can be themselves. And do you think that in this home situation, we're all working from home and we're all on video and audio. Do you think it's easier for men because they don't have to be stereotypically as likable? Oh, great question. I think it is really complicated. I think it depends on the person. I think it depends on the industry that you're in. I, the other day, had to get ready to be on air, and I handed the the baby who's nine months over to my husband and he was on a Zoom call and he was feeding her milk and putting her to sleep. And one of the women on the call who he and I both know texted me and said, I know this isn't all real life. I know this is just a glimpse into your real life, but it seems like the two of you really have found a way to split your parental responsibilities. And I laughed and she laughed because that was a glimpse. It was a moment, right? And and I do have a husband who shows up and is a really good partner, but that allowed a takeaway. And he was very aware of the fact that he was able to show up as a mid-level person on that call with a baby and receive extra credit rather than a demerit for showing up with that baby. And so I've been thinking about your question a lot in the context of parenthood because there's such a privilege differential in terms of who gets to show up as a parent, how you show up as a mom versus how you show up as a dad, how you show up as a single parent. Um, and so I know that when I have my kids screaming on the back of a conference call, or like I find I'm always on mute when someone's speaking with me. And whenever I'm not on mute, someone is asking me to wipe their butt and it is mortifying. But I also feel that because I'm a person who, you know, is mid-career, but is on a team where because it's not you know, a normal structure, because I'm on-air talent and I have this great producing team that works with me, I do have an element of privilege. And it's like, I can use the fact that I'm gonna be, it's gonna be okay for my kids to be there and to be loud and to be on it and dis- disruptive, if we're being honest, um, to give other people the time and the space to say this is okay. And so that is the the main frame through which I've been thinking about this question of likability. But the other question I've been thinking about is what it means to be ambitious in this moment and what it means to be an ambition, ambitious woman in particular in this moment and how that articulation becomes additionally complicated right now. And where have you come out on that? First of all, I think it is really important to have conversations with your managers about what success looks like in this moment, or to have conversation with the people you manage about what success looks like in this moment. And I would add conversations with yourself about what success looks like in this moment. The reason I didn't start with that is because that is the hardest conversation 
to have. I mean, I've really had to take stock of what is even possible within the time limitations of being a person who works full time, who has a partner who works full time, and who has two small children. I mean, they they demand a level of attention that uh, makes multitasking nearly impossible and is not fair to them and is not fair to the work. So getting clear on that, like I at the beginning of all of this sort of made a list for myself of all of the different projects that I have, both my full-time employment and what my goals were there. I have a podcast as well. So I did that for the podcast. I have this book that's only six months old. As you know, you hawk a book forever. That is actually the full-time work of writing a book. And I, and I laid it all out And the way that I am is I want to do it all. So I had to get really clear with myself about what was going to move, which which of these three projects were in first position, second position, and third position. And within each of the goals and tasks that I had for them, which were going to be right now and which were simply going to have to get moved to down the line. And I returned to it, I'd say, on a monthly basis to see how I can reorganize and reprioritize But I would be lying if I said to you that I was completely aligned around accepting the limitations of this moment, which is why I think it has been helpful to me to move my internal angst externally and to have conversations with my managers and with the people I manage about what our baseline expectations are for right now. And it has forced me in the case of my podcast and my book to say out loud, I don't have capacity to do that right now. I don't know that those words have ever come out of my mouth before. I hoped they would feel more healing to say out loud than they do. Um, But they're the reality of where I am and so many people are right now. Wow. And to me, it's that definition of, of this podcast, which is about bringing your human to work and, and to life. And it's a time that we're doing it. I often ask myself and others, you know, does your calendar reflect your values and, you know, and the values of your organization? And when people, you know, aren't like you or me that make the list and map out the priorities and revisit them, that's a tool that people can use to try to you know, force themselves to really look at what is going on in this moment. And, you know, I didn't need to homeschool my kids last year. (laughs) That now is on my calendar. Um, So it is an interesting moment. And I think that there'll be parts of it that are disappointing, that there'll be upside surprises. I I think talking about it makes, makes it a little bit more manageable and more real. And as a leader, what makes you open and vulnerable and, and opens, you know, even as I hear you talking in that way, I'd be much more open to share pieces of who I am with a leader that, that talks about her own limitations. Have you gotten like to a place where you have accepted the limits of this moment? I'm, I'm getting there. (laughs) I I mean, and, and so yes, I mean, overnight my business was gone. So I'm ahead of you in the book department. So I had hawked it, you know, been out there hardcore for over a year But my job is to get on a plane and to go to companies and conferences like where we met and speak for a living. And and the minute March 15th hit, you know, the first one got canceled then the second one got canceled. And I don't know when that's coming back. So there was some real grief to deal with on that combined with, you know, I lost my mom a month ago during this. So it's all weaved in. There's no 
pecking order of who's dealing with things that are harder than the others. I mean, some people say the little kids are harder, the big kids are harder. So I don't think I'm fully there yet, but I'm, I did say to myself, you know, what can I do in this moment? And, you know, two things came out. One, I decided to launch this podcast um, in a way to invest time and energy into my next book. But the other piece, and I'd be curious your thoughts on this, is there really is a correlation between one's ability to to give back at this time and how that impacts how they're feeling about all these things you're talking about. So, you know, it could be being part of NBC and what they are doing in this moment, if you have a team of people that you work with on your podcast and all of your other projects. But it also can be checking in on an elderly neighbor. Absolutely. I I will say on the work front, I do feel just a tremendous responsibility because people are are looking not only for information, but they're looking for context around that information, right? I feel like everyone I know is up at three in the morning on the internet stress reading. Um, and so they're looking for people to put that into context. And so the stakes feel very high. And then, and then personally, you know, something I've thought a lot about is just our responsibility to our care networks and continuing if we are employed and able to support the structure around us, the people who don't necessarily have reliable employment. Like I'm sure you've seen the Instagram memes about like, you should be paying your manicurist. You should be paying your um, childcare provider. You should be, if, if you are able, you should be paying your housekeeper. Like that we are, we are, our lives are interwoven with these people's lives in a way that I know and I feel on a regular basis, but I have never felt more than in this moment. Um, and to your point, I have aunts who are in their 70s who I have been calling on a regular basis and making sure that they don't need anything from the grocery store. And they are my aunts, so they are completely resistant to help and don't want anyone to do this anything for them. But it has made me take into account who in my life might need an extra layer of support or care and to move them to the top of my list. Yeah. My aunt would like to chat every week, right? She would love to chat regardless of what's happening in the world. But in this moment, that seems extra important. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, which brings you, you talk about the care network, you talk about your connection with different people. One of the things I've learned in my years of doing this kind of work is that honoring relationships is good for business. It's good for yourself and it's good for business. So I'd love to hear about your perspective on that. How do you understand the, the importance of relationships in your life and in your success? Whew, that to me is just absolutely everything. And I will say that as a friend, like an interpersonal friend, business aside, I have a very clear sense of who I am a friend as a friend. I will not talk every day likely, we will not text every day, but when the shit hits the fan, I will be there. And I will, I will be there in a real way and I will show up and I have learned, I did not always know this, how to show up based on what you need, not based on what I think you need or how I would want someone to show up for me. And I think that can apply to business relationships. I think it takes an element of savvy to know what is checking in and what is too much. And that I find, you know, as I was writing my book, which The Likeability Trap ended up becoming 
a study of likability in the workplace. I read a lot of other workplace literature. And I think one of the things that's really complicated about workplace literature is that you can put all of the tools in someone's hand, but at the end of the day, you are expecting them to have the savvy and finesse to know how to use them. And so there are things I can say like, you know, check in every three or four months when someone has a big life event like a baby or someone who they love passes a small note, a small present can go a very long way. Like the way in which those critical moments stick with people. I've experienced it. You've experienced it. You never forget who extended you a kindness in your, in those moments, but the finesse is hard to teach. And that is something I think about a lot, which is some of it has to be good intentions, the right tools, but then also a process of trial and error where you come to understand what resonates and what doesn't, right? And where that line is between checking in and, and being too much. So one of the things that always sort of astounds me as someone who loves to mentor, is invested in the concept of sponsorship, is that I will very often get sort of an initial communication from someone who would like advice or an introduction and then I'll never hear from them again. And the sort of consistency of response and a willingness to say, as, as you know, you and I have had to do, I'm sorry, I dropped the ball. I would like to pick it up and show up in a real way now that I have the capacity to do that. That matters. I mean, if you are asking someone else to do something for you, then you really have to make a commitment to looping back on whatever that was. 100%. And, and, right, and if someone doesn't, maybe I'll give them a second chance. But after that, you, you know, we can't, there's not enough hours in the day to keep extending yourself for people that, that aren't circling back and letting you know how it went. I, I hired an executive coach a few years ago who really changed my life. And I don't know if you've ever had an executive coach or if you have, if they did this exercise with you where they give a nickname to your survival mechanisms. And one of my survival mechanisms, she named CEO of nothing, that I would find a problem. Like Jackie needs a new job. And I would just work maniacally on finding Jackie a new job, even though Jackie never asked me to find her a new job or, or asked me once, but then she kept dropping the ball and I would just keep trying to help her pick up the ball. And she was like, why are you doing this? It's not serving you. It's not serving this other person. You're sort of getting yourself distracted from all of the things you want to do because you've placed this value on being a helper, even for people who don't want to be helped. So what was the exercise to get you to, to say no in those moments? It was really, it was uh, pattern recognition. It was, about, it was about recognizing that I spend a lot of just, even outside of actively doing anything, just mental space, thinking about other people and other people's challenges and problems um, and really saying, okay, can you actually be helpful in this moment? And very often the answer is no. Like sometimes things are just hard. Like sometimes. Or even if you can be helpful in this moment, do, do you have time? And it goes back to, does it fit in and does your calendar reflect your values? You know, when I, when I think about honoring relationships mm -hmm. and the impact of relationships, I think about it in two ways, honoring relationships with others 
your colleagues, your boss, your direct reports, and your family, your friends. But I would, would almost say, most importantly, honoring that relationship with yourself. So what do you do to honor that relationship with yourself? In this moment, that is especially, especially difficult. But the one thing I am very committed to is I work out every morning. And it is 45 minutes. It's now on Zoom with um, an instructor who leads a class. And I don't have a kettlebell. So I'm doing all of my exercises with a bottle of laundry detergent. And periodically, there is a child that toddles into frame. And all of that aside that makes it imperfect, it is the 45 minutes a day that I commit to me and to clearing my mental space and to focusing on something that is not my work, is not my husband, is not my children, and is not my home. Though if you ever want to be motivated to clean your floors on a daily basis, doing burpees on your floors will really just like, you'll be like, this is disgusting and somebody has to clean I know. I literally have been doing the same thing. Just (laughs) the dust falls with the push Where does it come from? I don't know where it comes from. Um, but But that for right now, it is the one way I can show for myself. And I would say the thing that is almost harder is accepting like, that may be what it is for now. That may be it. I can maybe give myself one thing a day and normally I might check in with myself in a, in a larger sense or you know, have that time where you sit for 45 minutes and map and plan and think, I just, that time doesn't exist right now and that just has to be okay. Yeah. Or you have your 45 minutes a day for you in the morning and maybe once a week, you know, your weekends are crazy. So not then, but maybe there is one day where you, you know, Wednesday on hump day, you negotiate and get an hour to think about the previous week and the week to come. And let me be clear. It's, it's less about negotiating with my husband for the time than it is about when I'm yourself. given those 45 minutes. Yes, exactly. Not being like, well, I guess I'll fold laundry now. Well, I guess I'll clean out the dishwasher. You know, like that it, those domestic tasks can really just creep in. I know. No, I, that's what I meant. Negotiating with yourself saying, okay, there's, I have a list of a thousand things, but if I don't dedicate one hour or try to giving myself permission that right now is hard, but if you can squeeze in 30 minutes, 60 minutes, just big picture, uh, I'm finding personally when I can do it, it, it makes, it's tending to make the next week a little smoother, you know, to, to some extent. So as I mentioned in the beginning, I'm writing a new book on rituals. And rituals, personal rituals, work rituals, give us a sense of psychological safety. They give us a sense of belonging. When I think about rituals at work, it also is an opportunity to connect people to a, to a purpose. And I'm curious, are there any rituals you know, that you would share, either personal rituals, work rituals? It could even be before the pandemic that you did with your team at work. One thing I had to come to terms with in the last few years of my career is the fact that while I present as an extrovert, I'm actually very introverted and I prefer one-on-one relationships. And so much of the workplace, or at least the workplaces that I have worked in, have revolved around activities that are built for extroverts, happy hours, bowling alleys, you know, lunches. And those to me have always felt awkward and like forced obligations and not the way that I am best able to bring my whole self. So I, when I start on a new team, really try to carve out time for a one-on-one coffee or tea with each person so that I can create that person-to-person connection. 
because that is much more meaningful for me. And I feel like I'm able to show up as my best authentic self much more in that environment than I am in a group. No, I, I, I love that. And there's a lot of research that, that supports that, you know, when you create that initial connection in the way where you can bring your whole self, you know, down the road when there are issues and when there are challenges, the investment in that time, you know, there's a big return on that that investment because it's easier to have difficult conversations when you've made the time up front to, to connect with them as people. Yeah. It's also in this environment I where we are not all physically together. You know, in, in my industry, we do something called pitch calls where everybody gets on a call and we talk about stories that have caught our eyes and how we might present them, the guests that we would book. And both when I see someone really making an effort, showing up at every pitch meeting with a pitch, whether I think it is something we should put on air or not, I try to send a note just to say, you know, I thank you so much for showing up and for doing this day after day, week after week, because I think it is really easy in general and in this moment to feel invisible, to feel like I'm doing the prep, I am showing up. And I am not actually sure that anyone is noticing. I will say, you, you know how writing a workplace book is. You do such a deep dive on research and some of it is like nonsense. And some of it fundamentally changes the way that you see your place in the world. So for me, a lot of the research coming out of the Center for Talent Innovation, a lot of the research coming out of Catalyst, particularly around women of color, you know, I am Latina, but I, I am very fair-skinned. I present in the world as a white, non-Hispanic person. I have the ability to pass in and out. Thinking about the fact that Black women in particular really can feel so invisible in the workplace made me think about how important it is to, to for people for whom that is a common experience to call it out. Um, and to really make sure that I am showing up in a way that acknowledges the work they're doing, not just to them, like that is nice, but really the value is making sure that that work is elevated to the people above who are in a position to make strategic choices. 100%. And, and when I'm, as I've been speaking with people about their individual rituals, or, as well as organizational and team rituals, when you can put these ideas into place um, in a way that for all leaders, because not everybody is like you that's going to think of this and reach out and do it, and which is why the data shows that there are there is an impact on on belonging and inclusion. And we're all we all sit in these meetings and we, we talk about how great diversity is for business and having people at the table. But if we're hearing from only three people all you know in our hour meeting, you know, it's not going to benefit us and it's not going to benefit our, our business. So my hope is that I can get people more comfortable bringing some of these rituals to, to elevate all of those voices. I'm also terrified that in this moment, diversity becomes a nice to have and not a must to have. The just it, as people sort of hyper focus on their bottom line, that that can be misunderstood as a thing that was in the periphery as opposed to a thing that is absolutely central to the success of a business. I mean, I am terrified of that as well as I've been out there speaking with leaders about it. 
you know, a couple of the points I've been sharing are number one, even with the unemployment rate changing so drastically, there has always been and always will be a war for top, top talent. And so if you want to keep the best people, not just the people, the best people, you need to continue to invest in a culture where, you know, diversity and inclusion is valued and where you're connected to purpose and all of those things that millennials and Gen Z and quite frankly, all humans really want. And so they cannot forget about it. So um, I agree with you. I'm, I'm trying to do my part to continue to to push them to say, this is not just a nice to have, it's a significant business issue in terms of hiring people, but also consumers are making, as we know, purchasing decisions based on that too. And more times than not, I am hearing from people, you know, what companies and leaders do in this moment, this pandemic, this this COVID-19 moment will define their future. How are they showing up in the world? All right, I have one last question. And then a few lightning, fun little lightning round questions to get to know you a little better. So my last question is, what do you do as a person that makes you feel most like you? I have to spend a lot of time by myself in order to feel grounded and have that experience quiet for a moment. Um, But one of the things that I have thought a lot about in the last few years is really editing down the people in my life to the people who make me feel like the best version of myself. And that was hard. I mean, that's one of those things that you sort of hear someone say and you're like, yeah, of course, like everybody wants to hang out with people. Like, no, it means that there were some longstanding relationships that I was pretty invested in that I had to, that I knew weren't allowing me to be my best self. I was showing up as a version of myself that I didn't love, maybe a a gossipy version of myself or a less kind version of myself or just an incomplete version of myself. And I chose to begin phasing those relationships out. And what allowed me to do that was really identifying, okay, here are a handful of people, if that, who I really love, really feel see me. I feel seen when I am with them. And I am going to double down on those relationships. Like I am going to, yes, I'm a person who isn't going to call or text every day, but I'm going to up the ante with them. And I am going to focus on giving them more. And in the process of giving those friendships more, the ones I want to give less are going to sort of naturally fall off. And that recentering of relationships has been the most important personal development of my early thirties. That's great. It does. It does get. And, and I got married and became a mother in those years, so that's a lot to say. It is a lot. It is a lot. Look, you're you're. I feel like many people I know talk about doing that in their early fifties, um, late forties, and so kudos to you for investing and being intentional and and really thinking what makes you you and it's it goes back to where we started about honoring relationships with others but also honoring that relationship with yourself so it reminds me of that excerpt i use it in my book a paragraph from all the king's men where he writes you're only you in relation to others 
And there's this like beautiful metaphor about being in a car with the person you were just with and who you were when you were with them and getting in the car and being by yourself and then going and being with someone else and being a different person with them. And in that way, I think who we choose to surround ourselves with is so much of who we are. And you just made me made me think, and I think all listeners that will be listening to this podcast, you know, here we are in quarantine and can we spend a little bit of time thinking about when we get out of quarantine, who do we really want to be with and surround ourselves with? It's almost like there's this natural opportunity to reset these relationships. So you really just got my brain spinning, which over this Memorial Day weekend, I think I will be thinking about that a lot. Really, really thoughtful, interesting. All right. So just a couple of little fun questions to get to know you even better. Is your creative time, if you had to pick one, midnight or 6 a.m.? 6 Mm. a.m. I am most productive at 6 a.m. I might be most creative at midnight. I can tell you it's none of the hours in between. (laughs) Well, right. I can see that because if you're up doing, you know, your reporting and you have to be ready and productive at 6 a.m., but right, maybe thinking more creatively in different way at at midnight. And I agree. The hours in between, forget it. Uh, guilty pleasure, sweet or savory? Savory. Favorite song to sing karaoke to? Um, salt and Peppa, None of Your Business. Oh my God, I love that song. Um, <laughs> last show binged on Netflix or Hulu or Amazon Prime. Take your oh, pick. oh, oh, I just finished uh, the second season of Dead to Me, which is the show with Christina Applegate and uh, Linda Cardellini. It's so good. And it's that and the first season are probably the only television that I've watched in about three years because I have kids. I've, I could tell you about Elena of Avalor or about My Little Pony. <laughs> right, right, right. I <laughs> Yes, I remember that well. First thing you'll do when you get out of quarantine? I'm going to go visit my grandma. My grandma's in a, um, she's 96. She'll be 97 this summer. She is in um, a nursing home. She's been on lockdown. My mom visits her every day. So, so nice. Where, where does she live? What, what state? In central, in central Jersey. But it just like, it's, it's that risk assessment. I know. Right. It's like, it's, it's not, it is, I would, I would never forgive myself if I even standing outside the window exposed her to something. So. Well, thank you so much for being here. Great to see you. And again, so crazy. The last time it was you and me and 15,000 of our closest friends. <laughs> Um, stay safe, stay sane. And I look forward to being with you in person soon. I know. Same. And please let me know, um, how I can help support this. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you for tuning in this week to left to our own devices. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the podcast on Apple podcasts. If you want to receive my monthly newsletter, text the word human to 66866. Or you can connect with me by email at erica at spaghettiproject.com. Stay safe, stay connected, and I'll see you next time.